0: You're listening to Hands-On Security, Hunter's Hands-On Security Podcast. Cybersecurity, up close and practical. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hunter's Hands-On Security Podcast. This is a great day to listen to our podcast because it's Monday and Monday is a great day, and it's 25 degrees outside. I think I just made it up. <laughs> um, your host, Vir Sayag, here. For today's episode, we will go over the latest Nobelium spear phishing campaign, discuss the different types of phishing campaigns in general, and talk about the investigation layer and the email security products that you can use. With me here today is Gaia Guy Gev. Guys, one of Hunter's best researchers and security engineers. Uh, he's an expert on email detection and is here to talk about his expertise. Guy, please introduce yourself. Hey,
1: everyone. Glad to be here with you, Sag. Uh, so uh, my name is Guy Aegev. Uh I've been in the security world for six, seven years now. Uh, I'm a security engineer at Hunter's and uh, I worked a lot with email security. Uh, as well as other security products uh, which relate to email security, such as EDRs, proxies, firewalls, etc. And uh, we'll talk a lot about that and how uh, and email security specifically and how these other products uh, connect to that security.
0: Guy, tell us something that we don't know about yourself, but in two words. Just two. Not more. Just two, Guy. <laughs> uh, Deutsch lernen. Yes, okay. Okay. <laughs> So we are here to discuss phishing campaigns, as we said. Uh, and why would we do an episode about phishing, which is uh, kind of one of the known thing in like, email security in general? So uh, last, last month, like in, in the end of May, uh, there was a, a CISA spear phishing campaign alert. Uh, the nobelium threat actor that was behind SolarWinds and um, they did uh, a big spear phishing campaign. They sent over 7,000 uh, emails to 350 government organizations all over the U.S., which is a big deal. Uh, they used like a, BD, a PDF, uh, which is not really classified, but it's like the, um, a PDF that is recognized with the U.S. government organizations. And they managed to like uh, make people click the link and uh, to install a malware. So I was there wondering why is it still 2021 and we are still getting infected? People are still getting malwares, like getting attacked with phishing campaigns. We have so much experience with that. We know that it exists and still it's like one of the most uh, known attacks and used attacks in 2022, 2020, and 2021. Um, and Guy, like please explain it to me. Why is it still 2021? And we are talking about phishing campaigns. Why is it relevant?
1: Uh, so that's a great question, actually. So, uh, as we'll see in the statistics we'll show in our podcast, uh, phishing is still one of the most common ways to infiltrate an organization. Uh, so there are a lot of reasons why this is still used, uh, and there are many advantages to using phishing. So let's talk about a couple of them. Uh, so when successful, when I send, for example, a phishing email and I succeed in getting a, an employee to press a link or to run, uh, run one of my malicious attachments, uh, I can actually infiltrate an organization without using any zero day, without any sophisticated attack um, that's, that's a very good reason to use, uh, phishing campaigns. Uh, also, uh, such attacks are very scalable. So it's really easy to attack a uh, thousand accounts by sending a thousand emails instead of just one. It doesn't, it doesn't cost you a lot more, uh, work or anything like that. And it can potentially achieve quite a lot of, of harm, or you can achieve quite a lot of, uh, you can get a lot of information for just from just one or a few employees clicking the wrong URL or opening the malicious attachment. So uh, given the fact that it's so scalable and so much damage can be done just by one or a few uh, employees making a mistake, this is a really good way to infiltrate an organization. You said it's commonly used, what do you mean by that? Um, So we should give a few statistics. so You love statistics, I can tell. <laughs> I love numbers. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even understand. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so before the podcast, we looked a bit into statistics because we wanted to give you the most updated information we could. And we looked into uh, testian.com, uh, which uh, talked a lot about phishing statistics. Uh, and we'll talk to you about a couple of the statistics we found interesting. So about 75% of organizations around the world experience some kind of phishing in 2020. That's, that's incredible because what that means is that basically every organization is vulnerable and most or all organizations actually need to think about this threat. It's really relevant for almost everyone. Um, if we're talking about the harm done by phishing, then... Then, given all the companies which uh, which are relevant, about sixty percent of the companies lost data in twenty twenty from phishing attacks. About fifty two percent lost uh, credentials or got accounts compromised. About forty seven percent of companies uh, got an uh, ransomware installed on at least one computer. Twenty nine percent with a malware, and eighteen percent of companies. Uh, suffered financial loss because of a phishing attack.
0: I love Guy's smile <laughs> when he's talking about phishing campaigns. You you need to see it, it to just, understand. It makes me happy. It just makes me happy. He's not really happy, though, because he's here to protect you from the phishing campaigns. He's just really enthusiastic about security related to email. Um, well, maybe I'm smiling
1: because I find this uh, a really interesting problem to solve. So... I think that if it's so common and it does so much damage then there's so much more to do and the effect of actually protecting people is so much
0: more important. So you mentioned uh, some of the statistics but I want to talk about uh, the types of phishing campaigns that we see. We see all the all kinds all different kinds of fishing types uh, there is the spray and prey which is the most basic one that you can think of sending as many emails as possible with no specific target in mind like just regular general content uh, which is, can be relevant to a lot of people you can think about the classic Nigerian prince and cats lovers emails you just want to infect as many people as you can there is also the spear phishing campaign, which is the Nubelium uh, spear phishing campaign. It's a good example because they took a relevant PDF to the U.S. government organization and used it to load them in. They used a specific thing to a specific target of people, a group of people. And uh, this is what made the people click on the link, on the malicious link, because it was referred to them specifically. You can also do that by email spoofing or compromising an account. There are many ways to spoof an email address. You can There are softwares all over the darknet that you can use uh, to spoof either the email sender and the, the name sender, the sender name. Uh, attackers can use it to make victims less suspicious. For example, someone sent to our sales team from our CEO, they changed the, the sender name. Uh, to our CEO name, uh, asking for, inf- for information, uh, which is really scary to think that they can do it. Another type is smishing, which is SMS phishing. It's, a, it's really easy to spoof an SMS uh, alphanumeric sender. I can't even like start talking about it because it makes me mad how easy it is to do that. Uh, social media, I mean, there, there are a lot of fake avatars out there in, the, in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, pretend, pretending to be someone else and making people do what they want, like download, downloading their viruses in the mask of dating apps, for example, and more. But now we want to talk about how it technically work. Um, there is this APT group, uh, TA551, uh, which are familiar with uh, phishing campaigns. Uh, Guy will explain now uh, the specific chain of attack that they use.
1: Yeah, so uh, thank you, psych for that explanation. Uh, and so we'll talk about this specific uh, attack chain. Um, so, what happens here is that it all starts from a bad, from a malicious email. So, what happens is that a malicious email with an attachment is sent. To one of the employees in a company, uh, that email contains a zip archive, which is password protected. The password is also given in the email. Uh, once the uh, the employee opens the email and opens the zip file, it uses the password from the email, and it opens a word document. This word document uh, actually holds in it, like also includes uh, macros. Uh, macros are basically code. Uh, and this code can be used to to do also a uh, malicious uh, activity on the computer. So this user needs to explicitly enable macros on this document. And once that happens, uh, the document, the macros actually run and can actually uh, fetch installers for malicious binaries uh, from the internet, from HTTP servers. Once that happens, it installs the, the malicious binaries and, and does other actions such as access to more HTTP uh, uh, servers, and then using all of the binaries it downloaded, it actually uses uh, one of the Windows uh, services, which is a scheduled task, uh, in order to, uh, to create persistency on the computer. So it uses a run DLL or another executable in Windows to uh, periodically run the malicious binary on the computer, and establish persistency. So, like we understand from, from, uh, from this chain of attack, nothing really complex happened here. So, this is just a pretty standard attack. Uh, no zero day was actually needed in order to, to do this attack. And I find that quite scary because, like, one or two mistakes uh, done by an employee, and you have a, a binary or malicious binary running on your computer.
0: Yes, so we know that no matter how many times you tell your employees to not click on suspicious looking emails, it still can happen sometimes. So what can companies do nowadays to protect themselves from this kind of chain of attacks?
1: Um, So that's a great question because... Once the company is actually aware of this uh, danger, it will want to protect itself the best it can. So one thing a company can do, which is quite basic, is to use an external security company to protect its emails. So that company can pay an external service to go through all of its emails and check for a lot of things that it knows to be malicious. Uh, So an example would be to do an IOC sweep. So such companies can use uh, open-source IOC repositories to check for known malicious binaries. And it can also check for known uh, malicious domains, URLs, uh, uh, senders, whatever it knows to be malicious from past events. And that can be quite powerful because what happens is that you can actually... uh, you can actually check everything that you already know about APT groups. So if an APT groups a group uses the same uh, domain or the same recipient, uh, the same uh, sender or anything like that, uh, you can actually detect that before the email rece- is received by the employee. Um, other things a company like that can do is actually take the binaries which were attached to the email and then use complex binary analysis. So comparing not just by hash, but actually by functionality, by, by other, uh, other metrics to known malicious binaries. Uh, and that can also uh, help us detect malicious binaries. Um, so these companies can do a lot more. They can look into shortened URLs and search and, and find the uh, URL which will uh, be referred to and, and inspect that URL. They can actually swap the URL in the email Uh, ...in order to proxy any access to the potentially malicious, malicious URLs. What happens is that these companies can then later understand which URLs are malicious... ...and then block future clicks on those URLs to emails which were already received by customers. Another thing that this can give you is that it can allow you to know after an attack was done if a URL was clicked, given the fact that the security company exports, so gives you an API to check which URLs were clicked. And I find that really interesting. So it's really, some of this is more interesting for the investigation part, but a lot of it is also for blocking the action from actually happening. And so there's a lot of things that these companies can do. They can also use machine learning models as as uh, Google uses in Gmail and uh and they, they can be very powerful to catch a lot of types of attacks.
0: But I mean, it's still not enough. If I look at Hunter's customers, sometimes they have uh, security products, email security products, and they are still getting infected with email uh, phishing campaigns. Why is it not enough? Why companies? What companies need to do further, we call it further investigation, what, but what they can do?
1: Oh, uh, that's a great question. So, all of the thing, all the things we uh, talked about, uh, all the things that a security company can do, uh, all have their limitations. So, if we're talking about IOC sweeps, then, then we can. We're talking, for example, about uh, about identifying specific malicious hashes. Uh, an attacker could just recompile his, his uh, binaries or or recreate a zip file in order to not to match that uh, IOC, not to match the previous. Uh, It can also change the source uh, address, the IPs, the domains, the URLs. So IOC sweeps can be very powerful, but a very sophisticated APT group can just change every parameter of the attack each time and then not be caught by any IOC sweep, even if all the previous malicious emails were detected. And that's really interesting. Um, So other things like machine learning models are also very limited. if we're talking about a specific spear phishing attack, then I could I could create a very specific email that wouldn't be caught by a machine learning model, uh, and that's these machine learning models are also statistics, so they can miss sometimes. Uh, so most of these checks have their limitations, and they won't catch every attack, every spam, or every malware sent by email. Um, and and then we can get into what a company can do to further investigate uh, these emails. So
0: a company can take an alert. And this is really, really important because uh, you can either do it yourself or you can either have another product doing that for you. But this is very, very important for you to, to listen because you can just implement it in your security stack. So, yeah, so a
1: lot of this investigation, a lot of the investigation a company can do uh can be done internally in the company so we'll give a lot of examples for this uh for example if the security stack of the company also includes an EDR then the company uh can take all these email alerts and and check for f- and further investigate them for example if the the email also contains malicious uh, malicious files which are known to be malicious uh one may want to check if these files were actually executed or downloaded on the computer Uh, that can be very valuable information which is which uh an email security company may not know so uh we may want to check if the if the file was downloaded that can be checked either by looking on the disk of the computer or by looking at the file creation logs from the edr let's not forget that a file can be deleted after being created if it's a malicious malware it may delete the file the actual attachment and then we may not know that the file was downloaded just by looking at the file system um, we may also want to look if the file was executed so if the employee just downloaded the file but it didn't execute it it it's a lot less interesting i mean we may also want to check if the file was in the command line this this may happen if the attachment isn't an executable file but rather a word file or another f- office file which is may also be uh, malicious uh, and then you can also use edr for further investigations so given a process you can check his process children and other other actions that process did but these checks uh, these uh, investigations are edr specific and not really relevant to this conversation what about urls uh so urls are really interesting as well so uh, an attachment with a malicious, uh, sorry, uh, an email with a malicious link uh, may, may not be uh, so trivial to investigate. So some security products may give you APIs to allow you to understand if the URL was clicked or not, for example, uh, and some may not. So if we know if the URL was clicked, that may help us understand what was the impact on the customer, uh, on, on the employee, on the computer. Uh, so we may want to check this in other ways. For example, we may want to check if there was uh, a DNS request to, uh, to the domain of the malicious URL, uh, that can be done either on the EDR logs or on the firewall logs. Uh, we may also want to check if there was actual access to the URL that can be done, for example, in the proxy logs. Uh, we may want to look at the browser history of the, uh, of the employee uh so there are a lot of ways to check if the url was actually clicked and that can change how we look at the event so if nothing if the url wasn't clicked it may not just be that very interesting
0: so if i summarize what you're saying uh, you need more security points security tools to understand if something is malicious like you need edr logs you need uh, proxy logs, uh, you need the email security logs uh, in order to uh, to understand what is really going on uh, in terms of maliciousness. Um, this is what we do at Hunters, yeah? Uh,
1: yeah, th- that's correct. So each specific security product is very limited in what it can check. So the email security products can only check the emails, but they can't really look into what happened on the hosts and they can't look at if there was any propagation of the malicious uh, binary or process or anything like that. And then looking at the entire security stack can give you a lot of abilities that that the security uh, email product didn't have. Uh, And then what we do at Hunters is that we implement a lot of these checks, a lot of these functionalities automatically uh, to run on any email alert for example, we check on every email alert if a file, was, a file name was in a command line uh, to check and tell you if the malicious Word document was, uh, was executed by an employee.
0: Nice. I want also to give some other tips, not technical tips. Um, first of all, I want to say that you can be targeted. This is important um, because most of the people think that they want to be infected uh, or get hit by an email phishing campaign because uh, they are familiar with security but you can be targeted and the first thing that you can do is look at a sender sender name and sender email if you think that something is suspicious and this is the first time that you're getting an email from this sender you need to see if there is more information like phone contact, uh, phone number or Facebook or uh, somewhere else that you can contact the person that uh, emailed you. Most of the file won't be able to talk over phone or over Zoom. They don't have the infrastructure for that. If an email looks suspicious but it's from a sender that you're familiar with, you need to ask the person. Uh, On another platform, in person, or like WhatsApp or Facebook, when you need to to see if this is the guy or the girl that's sending you the message, the email. One last thing, there are low-reputation email vendors. Basically, if you don't know the email vendor that you're getting the email from, it's low-reputation. You need to start suspecting. Uh, A quick Google search can let you know uh, if it's... uh, something that people often use or not. Um, but in unfamiliar vendors, it's easier to create an email address and then it's easier for attackers uh, to use the specific vendor. Guys, there is anything else that you want to add before we finish the podcast?
1: Uh, so uh, nothing special. It was great talking to you, Sag. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, until next
0: time. Until next time. Thank you so much, guys. This was Hands-On Security, everything you need to know about cybersecurity of close and practical.